0: Welcome to the Geopolitics and Empire podcast. Today we are speaking with Tuomas Malinen from Helsinki. He is the CEO and Chief Economist of GNSEconomics.com, which produces reports and economic forecasts. He's also an adjunct professor of economics at the University of Helsinki. We'll be talking about what he calls the first ever truly global economic crisis and depression. Thanks for coming on, Tuomas.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm honored to be
0: here. Let's start with quotes of yours that I found on your website. In the time that we have, we can see how far we can get uh, looking at Europe, the U.S., uh, China, and anywhere else you'd like to look at. So here's the first quote uh, where you say that the coming crisis will be exceptional in one important aspect, that it will be the first ever truly global economic crisis uh, and depression. So what's happening now? What's different from the past? Can you tell us
1: about this? Well, I think the, uh, we had two big global crises. Uh, not well, almost global. Uh, before there was the Great Depression, and then the uh, the global financial crisis, and uh, and these were uh, like the global financial crisis of 2008 was, was relatively mild. It was just a recession. It was global, though, but but the Great. Depression was global in the sense that it hit the uh, the U.S., the Germany, the, the Great Britain, uh, France, few European countries, and also Japan. But it didn't really it was really bad only in, in the United States and Germany, basically, and maybe in, in some some respect in, in Great Britain. But other countries, for example, like Finland and Sweden, then escaped from it rather with relative ease so when the when the gold standard was broken in in nineteen thirty one the these economies started to recover very quickly while the United States and the Germany uh fell in the, deeper in the depression but this time around as we are more global econ- or, or more globalized economy uh, and because of the overreaching um, grasp of central banks and their capital market twisting QE programs. There's bubbles all over, and the kind of the heart of the crisis is most likely going to be in Europe, which hosts the well, a lot of of these systematically important global banks. So there's a two main channels which make this global, is that it will hit all over through the capital markets and also... To the European banking sector, which we expect to be start to fail within this or the next quarter, actually.
0: Yeah, and that's something that many guests we've spoken to say uh, about the eurozone, that it's in great uh, distress. Many of them say that the euro is doomed to fail and may even uh, disintegrate. Uh, we have institutions such as Deutsche Bank doing uh, very bad, falling apart. I've seen some of your lectures online where you've examined the logistics of EU countries exiting uh, the euro. Uh, and you claim from yep. your analysis that it's not costly to do so for each country and that they should uh, be prepared to do so if or when uh, even necessary. And, you know, can you so can you tell us more about what might what's happening um, in Europe? Because if I'm not mistaken, I think in 1929, uh, if you mentioned that the Great Depression, uh, it kind of began out of banks failing, I think, in, in, in Austria and then and, and then Germany. And here we are uh, yep. again. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, we actually, we did a, um, I'm also a a vice chairman of the group called Eurothink Tank, and we made a uh, uh, how to leave the Eurozone research, which we compiled for about, or did for about two years, Uh, and in it, we we kind of found that the biggest obstacle of countries leaving is if if they have uh, relinquished their domestic payment systems, that will make it more difficult but it's but it's nonetheless manageable but a, uh, in, in the coming crisis because it will be a banking crisis too and it will most likely hit the hardest uh, in Europe if if you think that we have a um, banking sector that is failing and the biggest kind of cost and problem of leaving the euro is the uh, banking sector itself so while it's failing the cost of leaving will be actually extra cost of leaving will probably be minuscule so It will, when the crisis starts, it will create a um, kind of a long-term positive opportunity cost for countries to leave the Eurozone, basically. The other option would be that the the, the Eurozone somehow manages to do this kind of a Macronian unification uh, under some federal budget of the Eurozone. But that is politically very challenging and, and, and unlikely. So... Well, because the crisis, it, it's kind of the hard lies in Europe. It's hard to see how these different strains within the eurozone that have been building since 2008, basically, how could they be solved without the euro falling apart? The the process, how it goes, is, is a rather lengthy. I will not go there. You can find it from the September 2018 issue of our review, which you can find from our website, where we go through this process. The very thing is that because of the likely failure of the European banking sector, it's very unlikely that the euro can sustain the coming crisis. That's the essence.
0: So we have this going on in Europe. And if you could comment then moving a little bit to the US, you know, we've got the problems with the the Federal Reserve, Uh, they're printing money again, buying debt. Uh, you recently yeah. retweeted. Uh, there's been an article, I think, from Lance Roberts at Real Investment website. QE not QE, so they're not calling it that, but the kind of is that a stock market at all time highs, but it's artificially inflated. Many companies are buying back their own stocks, and so it seems uh, yeah. the situation is the same uh, in the U.S. So, what are you? What are the cracks that you're seeing at the U.S.?
1: Well, I think the biggest risk to the U.S. or threat is the credit market. Not the not the stock market, but the credit market. There is a lot of of a subpar debt there, of of debt of weak quality, going around. And if, if you look at the yields there, they are they've been pushed very low. It's kind of a it's almost been like a kind of a manic strive towards the the very low low yields in the in the in the high yield or, or the junk bond markets, and it's really problematic because the, the yields are in complete Disarray, if you may, from 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 reality. When the defaults start, which will definitely start in the U.S. corporate sector, there's going to be a lot of people losing money. And when 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 an invest, investors tries to get out of such a uh, kind of a niche market, if if you may, they they're going to be uh, the, the exit doors are going to be really small when when they're trying to get out of it. So, it's rather likely that the credit markets in the U.S. Is the biggest source of crisis. And when they, they crash, they will crash the corporate sector, the household sector, everything will go with that as the US basically uh, runs on, on consumer and, and corporate credit. So that is the biggest threat. And actually, in in early January this year, we think that the main reason for the sudden pivot of the Fed from the rate hikes and and automatic runoff of of the balance sheet, the main reason why it turned this all around was not the stock market, but the credit markets, where, where we heard later that a certain pockets of illiquidity have, uh, had all already started to emerge. So the Fed was afraid that the credit markets will collapse and take the whole economy with it. And that's the most dangerous bubble there is in, in, uh, in the U.S. at the moment, at the credit markets.
0: And before we look at what might be on the other side of this crash, I wanted to look at China because you had a fantastic thread on uh, on Twitter. How China has been driving the global cycle and not the Fed and more specifically Chinese shadow banks and their far-reaching stimulus operation that carried the world economy into a recovery. China accounted for over 50% of all capital investments in major economies between 2009 and 17. And then you uh, wrote that more than 60% of the new money and debt created globally came from Chinese commercial banks so it seems that china was the economy's uh, swan song and now that's it or i mean what's going on with china
1: yeah it's uh, it's actually funny with them china today is the u.s of the 1920s if you look at the numbers the u.s was the global banker back then in the 1920 before the great depression and china is now even more so with china now the the, the bubble that u.s accumulated in, in debt and all that in, in 1920s was massive, but this is even bigger. So because China has this command and control economy and banking sector, it, it, what happened in 2009 was that in the aftermath of the crisis, China ordered its banks to lend, and they actually increased, doubled their yearly loans within a year. And China kept you know pushing credit to the economy. To, through the banks for several years and trade then they tried to turn it, stop it in 2014. And we had this kind of a big global drop in, in uh, economic drop in 2015. And the leaders of China panicked and they issued a new wave of, of of debt stimulus and this time through the uh to the shadow banking sector which size tripled in one year so it was really massive uh, and in 2016 this happened but then they knew that the the the, the Chinese economy has had become a such a kind of massive debt bonte that they had to start to curtail the the, the growth of debt and they did it in the late summer 2017. And the global economy has been slowing ever since. China has made two big uh, debt stimulus operations this year in the first and third quarters. But we think that they simply cannot continue those anymore, because as we have seen, while the gro- um, growth of debt has been very high in these quarters, the uh, growth of the economy has actually con- uh, continued to slide. So. The stimulus goes in China, the stimulus of China goes just on the asset prices, creating bubbles and not on the real economy. So the ability of China to stimulate its economy and the global economy has basically gone. And we are just, this is the first kind of, we are, we are on the first leg of this deep, deep downturn, which China will be leading because it, its support for the global economy is, is waning. There is no other option. It, it, it has to wane because they cannot stimulate anymore. So that's kind of the role of China now.
0: And so to take a look at the other side, I know it's, it's, it's nearly impossible for anyone to do, but we can like uh, pick your brain and get some insights. You know, we're starting to see growing global protests uh, around the world, centered around, uh, some of the reasons are economic inequality. And then we're seeing as a result as well, violent uh, conflict. And it seems we're witnessing the birth pangs or prelude to this, as you say, new global uh, depression. Uh, you have reports uh, that readers can can purchase on your website detailing this uh, further. Uh, so, can you g- give us more of a glimpse into what things uh, may look like as we uh, go down this this hole?
1: Well, we have actually, yeah, we have um, a series of reports, uh, like you mentioned, uh, which are about preparation. But we have actually started to map path of the global economy to the crisis in, in December 2017. We continued it in, in December 2018. And now the next report published in, in next month will, is going under the working title, The Economic Collapse of 2020-21. So it would be a daunting task to try to describe the whole process now, how we proceed but but uh, I think we go. The thing is to understand that how how all the uh, different continents are linked. So China and Europe are linked to the uh, to the credit impulse of China basically. So China drives has driven the the the, um, the demand, if you may, of, of investment and consumer products in Eurozone. And these in com- com- by nation, have driven the global demand, which has driven the U.S. Uh, and when the central banks come in here, is that they have pushed the asset markets very high in the U.S. and the bond markets uh, very high in the eurozone. So you get this kind of um, a perverse mix of, of stimulus in the, in the wrong places supporting either the real economy or the asset markets. There is just one way these things can go. They can, they can go up or down and they have gone up together, and now they will come down together. And it will be truly destructive for, for the global economy that both the real economy and the, the, the asset and credit markets will be going down at the same time. So it's kind of a perfect storm forming, but the, the dynamics are, it it, it it will take a Few more podcasts to go through it completely, so that's why I urge everyone to go on our website and and look out, uh, look uh, for our reports. there.
0: do you think it's some? It'll be something that you know in the past that <clears throat> it'll take some time, but we'll recover, or uh, it, it'll be just um, something that's really drastic, really bad, and that may even lead to
1: like uh,
0: wars, uh, li- like in the past.
1: That's that's always possible, but you, we're really. Don't forecast wars, and, and I don't think no one should. We are an optimistic in a sense. We have actually presented three scenario, three, uh, three scenarios for how this can come. The first and the most likely is the great uh, or the global depression. The second one is a systemic crisis where the, the whole banking sector fails and then there's the uh, global bailout hyperinflation scenario uh, and the uh, and the thing is that if we just go through the global depression it will be extremely painful for sure but it will kind of root out all the bad investments and, and, and the final excess and everything like that and we will see a, a rapid recovery uh, we think maybe uh, within a 4 to 5 years after the crisis starts then there is the systemic crisis which is a bit worse because then we have a a a complete failure of the uh, financial banking system, which would require that we restart the monetary systems uh, using probably gold. And that's something that, for example, it was about three weeks ago, I think the, the Central Bank of Netherlands had a notion in the report stating that if the system collapses, gold will be used to, you know, put it up again. In this Scenario: It would take a bit longer, probably five to ten years, to get everything going. But if there would be, which now seems unlikely, that the global central banks would just buy everything up, then we would see something very drastic: the global hyperinflation, breaking of the um, kind of a uh, social uh, social structures and stuff like that. We we saw, for example, in in Weimar, Germany in the 1920s, and this would be the worst scenario: people and and corporations and you know we 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 rise from the the crisis. But hyperinflation and, and this kind of global bailout is it's a, a whole different animal. So I'm hoping, we're hoping, that when the crisis gets going, the central bank will either be wise enough to not go to the global bailout scenario, or judges and politicians will stop them from going there, because that would be really damaging. So we can manage with the crisis, but the hyperinflation and, and all this kind of massive monetary meddling, that that would be a totally different um, uh, different scenario with some very bad outcomes coming out of that.
0: And there's been a lot of talk about uh, now the dig- the digital economy, cryptocurrencies, digital national currencies. Alistair McLeod of Gold Money recently published an article about global dystopia. And do you think citizens, perhaps in the aftermath, you know, might fear a dystopian world where the states and the central banks remove cash which would allow them to surveil all human economic transactions uh, and then they can, you know, inflate as much uh, as they like, they can conduct bail-ins as we saw in in Cyprus, Uh, they can raise taxes without allowing people any way to protect themselves from that. Do you, yeah. s- do you see a trend towards this kind of cashless digital economy?
1: That's a possibility for sure. So, and there's actually already law in, laws in place in the majority of, of the Western um, nations that allow the banks to be bailed in with of money. It's not widely known, but they are already there. So, so what was done in Cyprus in the Russian money could be done in Europe for everybody's money, basically. So, and, and that's the, that's kind of what you describe. If we if we would go to this kind of a digital stuff and stop using money, which we don't think is likely, but that would lead to this kind of like you mentioned this very nasty scenario where we'd have a centrally control everything. And we really de- we we haven't had a centrally controlled monetary system anywhere in the world after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So, if central banks and politicians and, and global authorities would argue that such a system would need to be built, us the citizens would need to revolt against it because that would bring, bring a, a kind of financial totalitarianism in the world, which for sure would not be good for anyone, except maybe for the you know the global leaders, but you no, know, not for the citizens.
0: And what are your thoughts just briefly on de-dollarization and this move away from the dollar world reserve and some people talk about the petro yuan and things like this and some of the people we have on say that it's something that's more more imminent that's that's quicker to happen and others say that it will take decades and decades
1: well it's really difficult to say how long it will take the trend is definitely there but if you think about yuan, it's it's a it's a very controlled currency. They have capital controls, and it's in a di- uh, the 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 People's Bank of China has a tight grip on the on the amount of yuan available. So they cannot really it, it cannot become a reserve currency. Could there be a basket of basket of currencies for sure? But a, um, it, it's really interesting to see what will happen in the depths of the crisis. So so what role? Will, be, will the dollar take? And, and, and it, there are so many moving parts that it's, it's, it's basically impossible to see what happens beforehand uh, just on this kind of large, on this large development we can see. But the, uh, the, the exact ones are really difficult to see. And that's why one wants to understand what's going to come. We, he or she needs to follow these developments constantly, what is going to happen. And that's basically what we are doing as we speak, even.
0: I'm assuming some of the best ways for individuals to protect themselves includes getting out of debt and getting into r- real assets. And as we've mentioned, you know, people who really want more details, uh, they should get your reports. You have reports specifically on uh, how to prepare, how to prepare if you're living in, in the Eurozone and, and elsewhere. And w- what might you say are just some... Like one or two, just key general themes or guidelines to think about in in protecting yourself.
1: Yeah, well, like a um, like a central bank of the Netherlands reported, that gold physical gold will definitely be an important asset here because we we don't really know we don't know how how the fiat currency systems will uh, will cope. We absolutely do not know how the current digital currencies will cope because they, they have never witnessed any crisis They they were not in place in 2008 and we don't really know how that behaves so they'll they a risk bet but the gold has been used for three thousand years that we know of and they uh it, it's still the best crisis hedge here and they um And then then the other possible safe havens depend a lot on the area. Like in the eurozone, we can safely say that the whole sovereign bond market is in a bubble. In the US, it's a corporate uh, bond market. So so one needs to be extra cautious where to keep uh, his or her money. And now if, if, you, if you think about the problems in the U.S. repo market, we, usually the, the money, money markets of the U.S. Uh, have been considered to be the most safe, but we really cannot be sure anymore because we don't know what's happening. So there's a lot of, lot of stuff to cover for an investor to, to looking for safety.
0: Do you have any additional or final thought to leave us with regarding um, the global
1: economy? We are in a very perilous situation but they, uh when when the crisis gets going it's just good to remember that the uh the night is always darkest before the dawn.
0: And can you tell us about your online presence? I love your Twitter account and as well as the very interesting reports that you produce at uh gnseconomics.com which uh, forecast the crisis uh, and instruct people on how they can prepare for this.
1: Yeah 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 so come come follow me. You can find me at uh, at the Twitter and and uh, our yeah you know, firm which we have six partners there we, we produce these reports recurrently. recurring so i urge everyone to come and come as our uh, sub- subscribers
0: all right i encourage listeners to check out g um i always get it dot gnseconomics.com so thank you again for the interview dr malinen thank you i hope you enjoyed this geopolitics and empire podcast and interview I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review, On your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission, and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin, or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.